Well, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 13. And I'm going to be teaching from the New Living Translation. Uh, so hopefully, I know most of you guys have New King James, but you can hang in there. And uh, it's a cool chapter. And, and really, it's a chapter of warning. And at the same time, I think it's something that when we really dive in, we can get into this whole title of how we are called as Christians to cling to Christ. I, I was thinking about, you know, people coming on a midweek service. And I was thinking, okay, Lord, I, I know these are people that are, for the most part, I know you guys love the Lord, you know, and you're plugged in and you've been walking with the Lord, some of you, for a long time. And, and yet, at the same time, you know, I, I was thinking two things. Number one, I'll bet you have family members. I'll bet you have uh, neighbors. I, I bet there's a ministry out there of people that you are praying so hard for. And I was thinking, Lord, um, you know, we want you to move in their life. But a lot of times, uh, and again, it's not always this, but a lot of times because you're here, because you're open, you are the vessel. You will be the vessel that God will use to reach them. But sometimes God wants to do something different in us. Because a lot of times we're thinking, Lord, change them, change them, do a miracle in them. And yet here you are, here we are, and God is saying, no, I want to do a miracle in you. Are you open for this? Because once you're different, once you're in that place, then I'm going to use you even more so in their life. And so that was one thing I was thinking to, to people who are here and people who um, I know are doing okay, um, and yet I'm one of those, I'm one of those, I know this, God, change me. I have so much growing to do, so much dying to self to do, Lord, so change me. And so that way I can use my life, you know, in the people that I love so much. And so that's one thing. Another thing I want to just encourage you guys in is that, you know, uh, again, you know, the people coming to church and some of you guys I've seen for so long. I've seen you're so faithful. You're here every Sunday, like every Wednesday. You're here in other services and you, you serve and every time you're scheduled to serve, you show up and you haven't been up and down and all around. I've seen people like that. And so praise God for that. My encouragement to you is to keep doing that. Wait on the Lord. I know you're going to go through trials like David did for 10 years, 10 straight years. Homeboy was tested and 10 straight years he was faithful. So you have to wait on the Lord because a lot of times we want to make things happen. And, you know, if it doesn't happen in our timing, then I've seen a lot of people fall away from the Lord or from the calling that was on their life because they were not willing to wait on the Lord. And so hang in there, you guys, those of you who are faithful. It's probably not going to happen in one week or one month or one year or two years. But I tell you what, Pastor Chuck, it took 17 years of faithfulness, and then God blessed that. And so whatever you do, don't go sideways. Don't go backwards. You keep staying faithful and God will bless your life. And so it's cool to see uh, on a midweek service, and even though it's so cold, my wife is telling me it's going to be like 36 degrees. We're not used to that, huh? <laughs> uh, but here you guys are here, and so praise God for that. Jeremiah chapter 13 is really, in one sense, a warning. And I was thinking about how we need those warnings because of the fact that we're in a war. You know, I was reading in how in 1969, the Public Health Smoking Act of 1969 required all cigarette packing contains, containing this statement. It said, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking is dangerous to your health. And I think we even have a picture here of uh, what's going on in Australia. Now, check this out. On the left side right here, you have, isn't that ugly? I don't know if you guys can see that from where you are. But that's where the cigarettes from Australia, that's how they used to be packed. But then after this new law got passed, this is actually the, 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 the carton, the container. And look at how graphic those warnings are. Look at smoking kills. Smoking damages your gums and teeth. How many of you guys want to have a smile like that? I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, no one's interested in that, right? And so, you know, they send out warnings because it's, it's dangerous. And so you wonder, I wonder, um, you know, again, we've talked about things like is smoking a, a, a sin and probably something that won't send you to hell, but it will take you to heaven sooner than maybe you had planned, right? Because it's dangerous for us physically. But um, do the warnings work? Do the warnings work? 
Maybe there's some of you here tonight who you might need a warning because you're in the middle of something, or maybe you might need a warning because tomorrow you're going to be facing a temptation like Joseph did in Genesis chapter 37. I don't know. Um, Maybe, and I was even thinking this, maybe you need to warn people. Maybe you do. You know, I was thinking about how in my life, I remember warning my dad about heroin or warning my mom because she got too close to the Grand Canyon edge right there or warning my Aunt Mary, you know, because she was in in religion. You know, we warn people. And I think, unfortunately, what happens sometimes is that people misinterpret love for not warning people. And here's an individual who needs Jesus and they're living their life without him and God will send them into your path and maybe to encourage them, to woo them, to love them, maybe even to warn them. And so Jeremiah is a warner. You know, he's a warner brother, right? Jeremiah is. And the people need to be warned. And so for us, it's applicable in so many ways. Whatever you do, don't be afraid to warn people. Because that is an expression of love and faithfulness. Amen? So look what we read here in in Jeremiah chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen loincloth, which would be like a sash or or a belt, and and put it on. But, But do not wash it, or do not put it in water, the New King James says. And so I bought the loincloth as the Lord directed me, And I put it on. And then the Lord gave me another message. Take the linen loincloth you're wearing and go to the Euphrates River. Hide it there in a hole in the rocks. And so I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord had instructed me. So I was thinking about bringing an illustration, bringing a visual, getting a sack, a sash, you know, and tie it around my waist right here and just kind of showing you guys what he's talking about. But it's interesting, the, uh, the, the Lord told him to go to, you know, the department store, whatever, go down there to the marketplace, get the linen sash and, uh, and buy it. And then the Lord says, uh, which I want you to do then is then take it and you go to the Euphrates River and hide it there in the cleft of a rock and not in the water, but in the soil. And, uh, and so Jeremiah did as the Lord had instructed him. Now, there's a, a few things about this that are, are kind of cool. But number one, sometimes we need those visual uh, teachings. We need the visual illustrations because of the fact that people just won't listen to the straightforward word of God. And so sometimes, huh, we need to speak parables. Sometimes we need to get a little creative. And the Lord knows that that was Jesus' heart. That's our heart. Sometimes we show graphics. It's all from the same love. We, We love you. God loves us. And the Lord is saying, man, these people are headed for destruction. They're headed for captivity in Babylon. The women will be raped. The men will be slaughtered. They're going to eat their own children. It's a dangerous, horrible place to be. And so he's telling them the the truth, but they're not listening. And so he says, okay, Jeremiah, give them a a visual illustration. Go buy a sash. And the sash uh, would be interesting because Jeremiah was clothed in a prophet's clothing. To wear a sash was actually something that a priest would do. And so it would look kind of funny. It would look kind of inappropriate. But nonetheless, you know, he goes and he does what God calls him to do. And he wears a sash. And then what he ends up doing is God says, take it to the Euphrates. Now, the Euphrates River, if you were to travel the route, it would be like, man, 700 miles round trip. And so that's a long uh, journey. It would take three months for him to take it to the Euphrates and to come back. Now, it's up to you what you guys want to believe. A lot of people believe he literally did do that, that he took the journey. And so think about it. Here's Jeremiah, the prophet. For three months, he disappears. You're like, whoa, what happened to him? And then, you know, he comes back, and we're going to see what he ends up doing after that. So there is a possibility that it is literally the Euphrates And while he was there, some say that he may have even made some friends in Babylon because it kind of makes sense when you look at the whole story that Babylonians were friendly to Jeremiah when they finally did conquer the city. So again, we don't know, but it's interesting because the Hebrew word can also refer to a place that was actually closer to where Jeremiah lived, about three miles away, 
And so when you look at the Hebrew word uh, para, um, it is the same. And so we're not sure. I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether it was 700 miles away or three miles away. The main thing is he had a sash and he went and he hid it, right? And so in verse 6, this is what happens next. It says, a long time afterward, the Lord said to me, go back to the Euphrates and get the loincloth I told you to hide there. And so I went to the Euphrates and dug it out of the hole where I'd hidden it, but now it was rotting and falling apart. The loincloth was good for nothing. And then I received this message from the Lord, and this is what the Lord says. This shows how I will rot away the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. These wicked people, verse 10, refuse to listen to me. There it is. Number one, they refuse to listen to me. Number two, they stubbornly follow their own desires. Or if you have a new King James, what does it say? They follow the dictates of their own heart. That's number two. And then number three, and they worship other gods. Therefore, uh, they will become like this loincloth, good for nothing. And so the Lord gives a visual illustration. I thought about trying to find something in my backyard that was all moldy and dirty or something, but I don't think it would have been the same. You've got to have a, a linen sash you know, to get the full effect. It would take only about two weeks for the sash to start decomposing in the dirt, and so we don't know how long it was there. But Jeremiah comes back and he says, uh, this is what has happened uh, uh, to my people and what's going on, what I'm doing in them. And so one of the things that I've learned in life, one of the heaviest principles, is if we refuse to hear and follow the, div the voice of the divine, we will inevitably hear and follow the voice of the demonic. I mean, really, there's only two choices. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're for him or you're against him. Some people say, no, I'm, you guys are so extreme, and they've learned stuff from Star Wars and stuff like that. And God says, no, it's, that's the way it is. And he says, if we don't listen to live truth, we will surely learn to live lies. And that's what's happening here. They had refused to listen to the Lord. They, they wanted to instead follow their own hearts, and, and therefore they end up inevitably worshiping other gods. And so as Jeremiah digs up this linen, uh, sash linen, it has lost its nobility. At one time, it was this nice belt that was really a priest's a garment. And, and what we find, is, as he's illustrating, is it communicates a couple of things to, to, to us. Number one, this is what God would do to Judah and Jerusalem because of their pride. Because of their pride. That's what he says right here. And notice again in verse 9, this is what the Lord says. This shows how I will rot away the pride of Judah and Jerusalem. And so, you know, you're going to read this uh, numerous times in this chapter, how God will deal with the pride. And, and so for us, if you're here today and you're like, well, I don't have any pride, then you do have it, okay? <laughs> if you're here today and you say, well, I'm a humble person, then you're not, okay? And so, I mean, let's be honest. We all struggle with it. We all do because pride is the root of all sin. Pride is. And so the, the earlier you acknowledge that, the better off you, you'll be. You know, pride, it, it is the absence of humility. And therefore, what ends up do, they, doing is like, I don't need you, God. I don't need to follow you. I'll follow my own heart. I got my own, you know, ideas and, and you know, values and intuition and, you know, reasoning. And I don't really need you to lead me or the Bible to lead me. And so as a result of that, they then uh, naturally digress in worshiping other gods. And so that was what happened to them. And so, number two, not just that this is what happened to Judah and Jerusalem because of their pride, but number two, God says this is what God would do to Judah and Jerusalem one day he would strip them of their pride. And so, one day, and it's still in the future, God will do that to the Jews. And even today, they have not yet yielded themselves to the lordship of God, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But one day God will bring them to that place where they humble themselves and be saved. And so it's something, you guys, uh, I want to encourage you just as a quick side note. 
um, God help us um, not to have that pride, not to think too highly of ourselves. You know, if someone uh, gives us a little criticism, and you know, don't don't get all you know ruffle feathered and like, what are you talking about? You know, you fool. You know, people get all upset and stuff, and it's like, man, you know what? If they really knew you, they would speak worse. Come on, let's be honest, you guys. We're sinners. We have really nothing to be prideful of. As a matter of fact, humility is just honesty. It's honesty. That's what humility is. Not only because of who we are apart from Christ, but I'll be the first to admit that I fail every day. Every day I fail. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm all that because I know I'm not. And so for us, this is something that we constantly need to be reminded of 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. This is likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And I like this, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and resists, what that is in reference to is stiff arming. So if you guys seen the football players and those runners and some of those guys are really good, they stiff arm people and they get farther. God stiff arms the proud. That's what it says right there. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, here it is in verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Someone wants to be a pastor, someone wants to be a teacher, then let me see you wash toilets first and do it for an extended period of time. Maybe start with the children. Spurgeon said if you want to see a teacher raised up, you want to see a pastor raised up, a good place for them to start is in the children's ministry. And so all I know is that for us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is really important for us. And so as God is sharing these things with Jeremiah to tell the people, give them the village, visual illustration, it says in verse 11, As a loincloth clings to a man's waist, so I created Judah and Israel to cling to me, says the Lord. They were to be my people, my pride, my glory, an honor to my name, but they would not listen to me. And so it's interesting how the Lord here now, he basically says the, the loincloth was you. And as I had you around my waist, it was actually a place of honor. And I love this right here. If we can just kind of take this in, hopefully you guys are tracking with me. We were created to cling to God. We were created to cling to God. You know, I couldn't help but think of uh, Ruth in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Some of you guys might know the story there. But what had happened was Ruth and her husband and her two sons, they, uh, they left uh, Israel. They went to Moab because there was a famine in the land and they heard there was food in Moab. And so they went to Moab. But while they were there, her two sons got married. But next thing you know, her husband died and then her two sons died. And so as she's in this situation, Naomi is like, well, my husband's dead. My sons are dead. I got two daughters-in-law. I've heard that there's uh, food now and God's visited Israel. I'm going to go back to Israel. And as she's ready to go back to Israel, she tells her daughters-in-law, you guys should stay here. Because the leveret law said, yeah, you know what? One day if I have more boys and they can raise up and they might be able to, you know, have you as a, a wife. But how long is that going to take? No, you girls stay here. Stay here. You don't need to go with me. You don't need to. But as I love what we read in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 14. As, the, as, as Naomi presents this to them, it says in verse 14, and again they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to her. And she said, entreat me not to leave you nor to turn back from following after you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. She, she didn't kiss her goodbye. She clung to her. No matter what happens in life, Friend, I, I pray that we would have that same mentality. That the Lord had this linen sash around their, their waist and it was intended to cling to their waist. That's us. No matter what happens, I pray that you will not lose heart because you will get hit hard. 
I'm getting older. Some of you guys are getting older. We've got to pass the baton on to the next generation. But when it's all said and done, will you be there? You know, Dr. Dobson, you know, that's what his dad told him when he was dying on, the, on, his, on his bed. He just looked to his son and just said, be there. Be there. Because I know you guys, we're going to get hit and we're going to get sidetracked. And sometimes the enemy does this and we don't cling to the Lord the way that we should. You know, here we see this loincloth. It says in verse 11, it clings to a man's waist. So I created Judah and Israel to cling to me, but they, they didn't. And so verse 12, the Lord says, so, so tell them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He moves from the, the, the sash um, that is all messed up to these jars. He, he said, may, may all your jars be filled with wine. And they will reply, of course, jars are made to be filled with wine. And so I was thinking about these things right here. And these might, how many gallons do you think would fit in here, you guys? If you had to guess, 10 gallons? Well, maybe not. It would probably take both, huh? 10 gallons. Maybe it would be even more. So these jars are about 10-gallon jars. These are the biggest vessels for the wine. And so it's not wineskins. We're talking about 10-gallon jugs that this is what this is referring to right here. And there was a proverb. There was a proverbial saying right here, may all your jars be filled with wine. And, and what that means is every bottle shall be filled with wine. In, in other words, everyone has their purpose, and it's going to all be okay in the end. That's kind of what that proverb meant. But Jeremiah, as the Lord told them to tell them the proverb, and they're like, yeah, of course, you know, we're all made to be filled with water. Jeremiah would take that proverb and he would shake it up. Because here's the thing. I don't know how you guys are. We're all different. Some people do have a, 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 a view of their future. Like, um, man, it's all going to be hunky-dory, roses, good, no matter what I do. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and it's all good. It'll all work out in the end. And, and in one sense, yes, but in one sense, there's more to it than that. In one sense, we have to be careful. And that's what Jeremiah does right here in verse 13. He tells them, look, he says, no, no. This is what the Lord means. I will fill everyone in this land with drunkenness, from the king sitting on David's throne to the priests and the prophets, right down to the common people of Jerusalem. I will smash them against each other, even parents against children, says the Lord. I will not let my pity or mercy or compassion keep me from destroying them. And so they're like, oh, I like that proverb. Let every you know, jug, every jar be filled with wine. And that means everyone has their purpose and that means everything works out great, hunky-dory for everyone. And Jeremiah said, no, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about because of the consistent, persistent, insistent sin, they're going to be drunk, spiritually drunk. Who knows, maybe even physically drunk. And what's going to end up happening in the end is you're going to take these jars and they're clay jars, and I'm just going to break them all because of the fact that they won't live the life they won't listen to me they won't humble themselves they won't let me be god they won't let me tell them what thoughts are good to dwell on they won't let me tell them what words to say what decisions to make how to live their life they won't let me be the lord the one who says hey you know make sacrifices in your service to me and so the lord says this is what's going to happen to them and so you know it's interesting how um one of the most famous verses of all, you guys know it, Romans 8.28. Anybody know that verse? Can you guys tell me that verse? All things work together for good. To who? To those who love God. We forget that. We forget that. To those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Now, again, I think a lot of times we're like, well, all things work you know, together for good. We change it to Christians. And, and you know what? God is good and God is gracious. And I'll tell you what, I think it's hard to get out of the will of God because he loves you so much. 
You've got to be kicking against the goads, and you've got to be doing all these different things to get out of the will of God. But, um, you know, it is, it is possible. And so what I'm trying to encourage you, myself, Lord, I don't want to live a life of um, not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Manny, this is the kind of husband you need to be. This is the kind of dad you need to be. This is the kind of son you need to be. This is the kind of friend you need to be, the kind of pastor you need to be. And, and, and just real simple, just do what I tell you to do so that I can bless your life. Again, a very gracious God. Um, but I think that's what he's saying right here, that these bottles are going to get, they're going to get broken. You wonder, why is it that people end up doing the craziest things? And I'm like, man, I have no idea why Bob Coy would go and he's a pastor of you know a church that has a sanctuary of 6,000 people, multiple services. It was such a big church that you had to take a tram to get to church. I mean, from the parking lot. It was just crazy how God had blessed him. And the only thing I could think of is he got drunk. I mean, he was just drunk because of his sin. God said, okay, go ahead and drink away. Because you will make decisions that make absolutely no sense to anyone. That's what happens. You guys were called, on the contrary, to be sober. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober, right? Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, I don't know for sure if it's, you know, literal, physical drinking, it could be, you know, because we see that was a problem with them as well. But I do know there was a spiritual drunkenness. And we can visualize these broken bottles of wine. These vis- broken bottles were actually, in one sense, broken lives. If you think about it, in one sense, think of a glass bottle. We'll just use a glass bottle as an example. Every glass bottle is destined for what? To be filled. And every glass bottle is destined to be broken one day. And so for us, every glass bottle is destined to be filled. The only way it won't be broken or ruined is if it's saved. And that's us. Hopefully saved and surrendered and seeking the Lord. I, I, I don't know if I shared with you guys before, but I remember this one young man that used to attend here. And I tell you what, he was a really humble guy you know you could see it in it oh yes pastor manny and you know you ask him to do something and he was just sweet man and uh he loved the lord and he was on fire reading his bible asking questions tracking you know a really cool uh, young man and then one day he moved away and he moved kind of far and he didn't get plugged in you know he said hey you got to find a church wherever you go one that loves you and teaches you the word but he didn't. And the next thing you know, he ended up um, hanging out with the wrong people. Next thing you know, he's in a fight one night. And in the fight, he pulls out a knife. In the fight, uh, you know, and I saw the video of it. He stabbed somebody. I don't think he meant to kill him, but he stabbed him in the neck and the guy died. And so he goes to court. He gets sentenced to 25 years uh, to life. He's in prison now. And and as he's there, he is uh, he ends up turning to Islam, turning and he becomes a Muslim. And I was just thinking about this digression and of this guy that I saw the fruit; it was real, and how that can happen. I mean, you're right, you move away, you don't find a good church, you, you know you're there, and you don't have that discernment to get plugged in. Next thing you know, you're hanging out with the wrong people. Can that happen? Oh, yeah, that can happen. One night, they're, they're, they're fighting with your homeboys, and you're in the middle of it. Can that happen? Yeah. You know, and you're used to carrying a knife. A lot of you guys probably have a knife tonight. Don't tell me who you are, but I'm just saying. Some of you guys do. I know some people come to church. They got knives and different things and stuff. And, you know, it wasn't intentional. But, you know, and, and so all, I'm looking at this young man, and I'm not giving up on him. I am not giving up on him. But it just seems like his life is getting worse and worse. And that's what happened to, to Judah. That's what happened to them. You know, as I'm going through my study, I'm thinking, Lord, I can give them, you know, that person, the different illustrations of different individuals. 
And the Lord was just telling me, you really don't have to do that. You can just point them to this nation right here. You can point them to the one that at one time had this sweet fellowship with God. You know, the pinnacle of their relationship when David was their king. And look what happened to them. And what happened to them, you know, in one sense can happen to anyone. And so, you know, Isaiah 63, 6 and Isaiah 49, 26 and other places, Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 51, 7, they all talk about how when when God allows these people to, in that sense, get drunk, it is a form of, of judgment. It's a heavy warning, you guys. But here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. As Jeremiah is sharing these things with them, like Babylon is coming, 70 years of captivity, you know, all the crazy stuff that he's sharing. Let me ask you guys a question. Is it, is it set yet? I mean, is this going to happen no matter what? No. No. As a matter of fact, the reason why Jeremiah is sharing these things is so that they would change. We read in verse 15, it says, Listen and pay attention. Do not be arrogant or or proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before it is too late. Acknowledge him before he brings darkness upon you, causing you to stumble and, and fall on the darkening mountains. For then, when you look for light, you will find only terrible darkness and gloom. And if you still refuse to listen, Jeremiah says, I will weep alone because of your pride. My eyes will overflow with tears. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because the Lord's flock will be led away into exile. And so one of the things we met with the overseers this last week, and and I was challenging them something because of the fact that I was wanting even to challenge myself like I was telling them this, I said, don't look to the person on your right or the left or whatever you're complaining about so-and-so and you're wondering about that guy. It doesn't seem like he's really doing things right or that girl over there, you know, she's got a problem. I was telling them, can I ask you guys to do this? Just take the plank out of your own eye. Just let's, let's just focus on that. Let's take the plank out of our own eye because if that happens, then maybe we can take the splinter out of our brother's eye. You know, I think a lot of times what happens is we get so sidetracked with everyone else and we we can't really focus, like I said, on, on us really being different, us changing, us growing, which is exactly what God is prescribing in order to bring revival or life to our families or or whatever, the the friend, the ministry. And and so right here he's just saying in verse 15, and he's talking to me, you guys, he's talking to me, listen, Manny, pay attention, don't be arrogant, uh, because God has spoken, give glory to the Lord. Now what that really is in the Hebrew is confess your sins. Confess your sins to God before it's too late. Acknowledge him again before he brings that darkness. And right here you can visualize someone going to the mountains and they have absolutely no light uh, to travel on. You know, the, the Jews, they had perhaps that intellectual knowledge, but they did not, they were in a place where they did not acknowledge God. One of our favorite verses, I know you guys know it, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge Him. Yeah, you guys got it, man. That's cool. Midweek service, what can we say, right? (laughs) In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Now that word acknowledge is the word yada. And it means to know. It means to know intimately in the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This is a different word that's used here, but it's the same concept, right? How we are to draw near to God, how we are to be personal with God, how we are to acknowledge Him. And right here, they had knowledge. There's a difference between knowledge and intimacy. There's a difference between union, yeah, you're saved, and communion. Let me ask you a question. What did God tell you today? When you spent time with God, right, what did he say to you? 
Does anybody remember? Now, some of you guys do. Some of you guys, not, you haven't been there. We haven't. And so this is what the Lord is saying. It has to be personal because these guys, the Jews, they had knowledge, but they did not acknowledge God. And so he's just telling them here, hey, uh, Manny or whoever it is, just want to let you know, judgment is on its way to your house. It's on its way before it gets there, before it gets there, confess your sins and forsake them so that God can then, he's just so good. You guys saw what happened at the preaching of Jonah, right? Remember in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, when Jonah went and he preached the most eloquent message ever preached? You guys remember? Jonah said, turn or burn, right? That's what he said, right? And uh, 40 days, this place is going to be on fire fire and he was all excited about it right and it's everybody repented the king and all the people even the animals i think it was just crazy what ended up happening and god spared them god might be saying to uh, i mean i i'm not putting it past god i i you know the closer you get to god or whatever the longer you've been walking with god i think the more sensitive you are to sin the the more closer you get to god in one sense the more you realize how far away you are. And so, I mean, I'm not here thinking, oh, you know, God's not talking to me. No, I, I, I just want to give it all to him. And I think that we should all have that heart because, you know, if not, Jeremiah says right here, he's just going to weep over what ends up happening to them. And over the years, I've been there. Psalm 119, 136, it says, rivers of water Run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. You know, I know what my pastor taught me. I know what he taught me about life. I know what he taught me about Christianity. I know what he taught me about ministry. I know that. And sometimes, man, you just, uh, you look at people and you wonder, man, were they listening? Why did they miss that part of the ministry? And what ends up happening is, you know, the people end up blowing it. And a lot of times, you know, we, we unfortunately become, you know, disqualified or unusable because of the fact that we are not listening. And so um, my prayer, you guys, is that we would have this heart of just absolute humility and holiness. And, and Jeremiah here, as he's giving this message, he's really talking to the leaders a, a lot. Look at verse 18. He says, say to the king and his mother, come down from your thrones and sit in the dust for your glorious crowns will soon be snatched from your heads. The towns of the Negev, and that would be the southern portion of Israel, will close their gates and no one will be able to open them. You know, in other words, you know, the Babylonians are going to invade from the north, but I don't want you guys to think it's just going to stop there. It's going to go all the way throughout the whole land. So this is, for, this is what happens to the whole uh, nation of Judah. The, the people of Judah will be taken away as captives. All will be carried into exile. And so he says, open up your eyes and see the armies marching down from the north. Where is your flock, your beautiful flock? that he gave you to care for. And, and so right here, the king and his mother, they're not identified, but most uh, scholars believe it's the King Jehoiakim and his queen mother. Her name was Nehushta. She was the widow of Jehoi Jehoiakim, which is interesting because, um, you know, you, you wonder, well, why is he talking to the king and the queen mother uh, like this. And so the queen mother would actually have a lot of pull, a lot of influence because of the fact that most kings had multiple wives. And so you got all these wives. You're like, okay, I don't know about that, but this is my mom. Okay. Hey mom, what do you think about this? Not only that, this king was only 18 years old when Jeremiah is speaking to him. He only reigned for three months. And so what we find right here is this is God is just telling him, Hey, you know, just come down. You know, you're going to lose the crown. If you as the leader would humble yourself, then people are going to catch the vision and God will do this work in our nation. 
know, it's just tragic to see what their disobedience would do to the entire nation and the towns all the way throughout Judah. Right here, he talks about how we need to open our eyes, verse 20, and see the, the armies coming, how the captives would be carried away to Babylon into exile. And so this beautiful flock that God had given these kings to care for, what would happen to them? Where are they now? Again, a heavy indictment upon all the people, but especially the leadership. You know, and that goes for our president. That goes for all of those who are in office because the Bible says that God put them there. And if only they would read Romans 13, you know, and realize, hey, it was God who put me here. Maybe I should really submit to God, you know, and all the leaders, president, government, but even pastors, right? Leaders of homes, right? Leaders of ministries, how influential we are. You know, what we find is that they trusted in men, but they didn't trust in God, and these men would eventually turn on them. At one time, as a matter of fact, it's interesting, Babylon was an ally to Judah. You read Isaiah chapter 39, I don't know if you guys remember that story there, but the Babylonians came and they, uh, uh, Hezekiah showed them all the riches in the land. And, you know, because he, he thought they were friends. As a matter of fact, he even trusted the Babylonians to help them in their war against Egypt. And so they were allies. You got to be careful who you make your ally, right? And so eventually, though, the Babylonians turned on them, right? And Isaiah said, hey, um, you know, he calls Hezekiah, who did you show what to? And Hezekiah, King Hezekiah said, oh, yeah, these guys from Babylon, far away they came, and I showed them everything. And Isaiah said, you shouldn't have done that. One day they're going to come, and they're going to carry everything away. And that's kind of what we read here in verse 21, where it says, what will you say when the Lord takes the allies you have cultivated and appoints them as your rulers? Pangs of anguish will grip you like those of a woman in labor. Any of you ladies here, uh, you know what he's talking about? The pain, you know? He's saying that's how much it's going to hurt. You may ask yourself, why? Why is all this happening to me? It is because of your many sins. That is why you have been stripped and raped by invading armies. You know, and I, and I know going through Jeremiah, I'm proud of you guys for coming back, man. <laughs> it's a hard book, huh? It is a hard book. But for some, like I said earlier, maybe it's what we need, you know, to keep us on track, to cultivate one of the most important things in life, and that is a healthy fear of God. You know, do you have that in, in your heart? Do we have that healthy fear? I, I can't, again... I cannot contemplate why some people don't have that fear of God and, you know, just a lot of things. And I got to be careful, you know, what I say, but it just seems like, you know, for me being a Christian, I, I know, you know, I got to be in the word and I have to be in prayer and I have to be in fellowship and I, and I can't be living in, you know, this sin, you know, in any way volitionally you know for anyone to go into sin like i know there's sin over there and he's saying you know um i, I have plans tonight i'm going to take the day off from christianity and i'm going to go to a bar and i'm just going to have a good time and you know or, or whatever you know you're all planning you're going to go get in a fight you're planning you're going to punch somebody or whatever there's a there's a difference between going into it volitionally and you know stumbling sometimes upon things right and so I don't understand why some don't have that fear. Maybe, believe it or not, and I'm not just trying to keep you guys in the midweek service, but maybe it's because they don't read books like the book of Jeremiah, the book like Isaiah, you know? You read some of the other books and there still strikes the fear of God inside of you, but this one, which is over and over and over and over again, talking about judgment, but, you know, hopefully by the time we're done, we'll have that healthy fear of God. Why why is this happening to me, Lord? Why? And some of you guys even today, why is this happening to me? Why has this not yet happened for me? And God says it is because 
of sin. That's why. And so for us, same, same thing. Let's just get right with God, right before God. That's all. Because if we get right before God, then everything else falls into place. He says at the end of the day, what we find in looking at the nation of Judah is that fruit is determined you know, by the root. What's the root? Then we'll know the fruit. The, the big question is two things. Number one, are you really saved? And then number two, um, are we willing to surrender? Look at verse 23. It's an interesting passage. It says, Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard take away its spots? Neither can you start doing good. He says, for you have always done evil. And so an interesting passage right here. Uh, We can't change our sin or we can't change our skin nature, right? You know what I'm talking about, naturally speaking, because, you know, you're an Ethiopian, you know, myself, I'm a little bit medium. My wife says I'm white, but I'm not white. I'm a little brown, um, you know, and we, I guess you can go on to the sun to a certain extent or maybe not, but he's talking about the radical changes. We can't do that. You know, he's talking about the, the leopard here. It can't remove a single spot. Okay, I think we have a picture of a leopard right here. See how he's trying to remove a spot? He can't. <laughs> we can't do it, huh, guys? So it's kind of a good place to be. Have Are any of you where I am, where you realize you can't do it. Have you guys come to that place yet? I've tried. I told my wife, I said, I, sometimes I feel like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. I just can't do it, you know? And I think that maybe it's because I want to be perfect. I don't ever, ever want to sin. But it just seems like every day, you know, something happens. And so we can't do it, but God can, Right? And so just a couple of things in looking at this, I think if we dig in, it's kind of cool. You know, we can't start doing good because by nature, through and through, we are bad. And so it's hard enough for those of us who are saved, right? It's hard enough for us. We can't do it. God can do it, right? At least we have a choice now that we're saved. At least we have a chance but for those who are not saved, then in one sense, they're, you know, the leopard that cannot change their spots. But when you get saved, then God can. And so as we're here today, remember I told you guys, um, it's good for us to receive the warning, but it's also good for us to share the warning. You know, I love you, mijo. I love you, mija. I love you, neighbor. I love you, compa. I love you, cousin. I love you, uncle. I love you, coworker. I love you, who I work out with. I love you, my fellow student, whoever it is. And, you know, as you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're reading these warnings. We have to share with other people because, like I was telling someone the other day, I said, man, you know, we're, 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 You know, we're telling the Catholics that they're okay, they're okay, they're okay. A lot of Christians are like, Catholics are good, Catholics are good. And of course, only the Lord knows the heart. But if they're praying to Mary and they're praying to St. Jude and if they're trusting in their last rites and if they're trusting in the church and if they're trusting in the priest, you know, all I would say to my Catholic friend is, are you trusting in Jesus? Because if not, then I was telling this guy, This is heaven and hell. We have to warn them if we love them. You know, because a lot of times people got it backwards. They think, well, love is saying nothing. But love, as we're led by the Spirit, is saying something. And so here's this passage in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves as to whether You are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So an interesting passage. Um, It's okay for us to examine ourselves, right? It's okay. Are you a Christian? I know a lot of you guys, you have the fruit, you have the outer witness, the inner witness. You know the gospel and praise God for that. But there might be some who come to church and are not. And that's what that 
passage is intended for. And so again, again, and again, and we'll close with this. Um, God gives the, the, the warning, you know, and the, the judgment. Verse 24, I, I will scatter you, he says, like chaff that is blown away by the desert winds. Oh, God would never do that. God's loving. He would never do that. Well, it says right there. This is your allotment, the portion I have assigned to you, says the Lord. Why? For you have forgotten me, putting your trust in false gods. I myself will strip you and expose you to shame. I have seen your adultery and lust and your disgusting idol worship out in the fields and on the hills. What sorrow awaits you, Jerusalem? How long before you are pure? And when he's talking about scattered like the chaff, I couldn't help but think of Psalm 1. And so that's your homework for tonight. Uh, you guys go home and read Psalm 1. If not, you're in sin. No, I'm just joking. I'm totally joking. I'm totally joking. But, you know, um, it's so sad how the reason is they had forgotten God. And so God assigned this allotment of judgment that would come their way because he had seen their spiritual uh, adultery and probably literal adultery as well. And so God here gives a heavy warning. And it's interesting, you guys, and we'll close with that last question right there in the New Living Translation. And I think we even have a screen on this. Um, How long before you are pure? And so an interesting question, huh? Like for me too, you guys, the Lord asking me, okay, Manny, um, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time and you know better and there are certain things in your life that need to die, that need to change. Um, you know, sometimes we say things, you know, when we're not even thinking, we shouldn't say and just whatever it might be. And the Lord is just saying like to me, you know, how long uh, before you are pure? And so what would you say if God asked you that question? I like what it says right here. Hopefully our response would be, um, no longer, Lord, N- no longer. There's no more longer. Like, as far as that goes, Lord, it's tonight. Tonight, Lord, I, I plead uh, for purity. And so do the warnings work? They tried those cigarette things. It didn't work. The warnings were there. They say only uh, 30% of the youth even considered the warning. But most of people, just they just kind of fly by. And so prayerfully, that's not us uh, tonight.